This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And this is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, April 20th, 2023. I'm Kyle Callums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Later this hour, another spring weekend means plenty of music all over the place. We'll give you an overview. But first, Walmart recently announced that they'll be installing fast-charging electric vehicle stations at thousands of their stores across the country. The Bureau of Transportation Statistics says that of April 1st, the number of alternative fueling stations in America has grown 90 percent since April 1st, 2020. So what does EV charging look like in our neck of the woods? Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore reports. If you've ever been to the Dixon Street location of Collier Drugstore, perhaps you noticed a few electric vehicle charging stations in the parking lot. With the download of an app on your phone and connecting your credit card, you can start charging your EV in just a few minutes. Mel Collier is the owner of the store, and he says the chargers are available to anyone who needs to charge their vehicle. I mean, usually there's somebody every day charging out there. Public charging stations are becoming more available across Arkansas, but they are nowhere near as prevalent as gas stations are. One of the reasons Mel has made these available is to attract more patrons to downtown Fayetteville. My family, my dad, my granddad, you know, everybody, we've all been in love with the downtown area. And so not just from our standpoint, but we want people to be able to come downtown and shop or eat. We want people to experience downtown without any barriers or excuses, you know, as to why they can't come downtown. In many ways, gas-powered and electric vehicles are the same. Four tires, reverse and drive, horns go beep-beep. But the obvious difference is how they're fueled. And perhaps what changes the most is how they are fueled. Let me explain. If you drive a gas-powered car, you know the drill. You've got a fuel gauge, you monitor it, and when your vehicle needs to be refueled, you go to a gas station and you get more fuel. But that routine looks pretty different for an EV. One significant difference is the refueling cycle. For many EV owners, they charge their vehicles at home, meaning they are near or at capacity every time they leave the house. Another major difference is the speediness of that fueling. In a gas-powered car, whether it's unleaded or premium or diesel, the speed at which the fuel goes into the vehicle is essentially the same. That's not the case for EV charging. There's three levels in the EV world. You know, level one charger, which is basically a 110 receptacle or outlet, you know, like you'd have uh, at home plugging into the wall or plugging into your garage. That's Peter Nierengarten, the environmental director for the city of Fayetteville. Level one chargers are rather slow, providing just two to five miles of range per hour of charge on average. Uh, Then there's a level two charger, which is a 220 volt charger. That's a specialized plug like what you see on a clothes dryer. That pulls in more power, resulting in a faster charge than level one. That provides anywhere from 12 to 25 miles of range per hour of charge. And then there's what's called a fast charger, and those are the really high-powered, expensive, uh, quick-charging units um, that have an even larger uh, charging apparatus associated with them. These Level 3 chargers are exponentially faster and can charge a vehicle from empty to full in as little as 20 minutes. The most common level you see installed in homes is the Level 2. So if the vast majority of charging happens at home, Is there really a need for public charging? If you're someone hoping to attract outside visitors to the area, you'd probably answer yes. Tim Conklin is the executive director of the Northwest Arkansas Regional Planning Commission, and he says that with the number of unique events, activities, and Fortune 500 companies we have in the area, we do need to have public access to electric vehicle charging. Now, many entities today do have some charging facilities in, in, in their properties. I've seen chargers at the 21C uh, hotel, chargers at uh, XNA in the parking deck, chargers at the University of Arkansas and their uh, parking decks. According to PlugShare, a website that helps locate EV chargers near you, there's about 100 EV charging stations in the Ozarks at Large listening region, with the vast majority of those being operated by private businesses 
whether they're part of a traditional gas station, a pharmacy, or anything in between. The city of Fayetteville has a level two charging station near downtown that they first installed in 2013. Peter Nierengarten again. Since we put that one charging station in up by City Hall, I was looking back at the data last week, um, and most recently we've had over 300 charges per month uh, at that one charging station location. Um, Since 2013, the utilization has increased by 3,000%. And just since last year, um, our charging station utilization has doubled. Peter says the city has heard from current EV owners asking why there isn't even more charging available downtown. Particularly folks who may come downtown and stay in a hotel um, you know, overnight or for some, for some other extended period, why is there not convenient charging near those locations. So that's why we've uh, identified a number of locations around the downtown that we're currently working on implementing additional charging stations. Well, let's talk about some of that then. What are, what are some examples of places where, you know, you've, you've spotted, you've thought out, you've scouted these opportunities? What are some examples yeah, of that? Yeah, so the Fayetteville Public Library has a parking lot. Uh, we're going to put a charging station in there. Uh, we've got two municipal parking decks uh, downtown, one uh, at the corner of Spring Street and School Avenue. We're going to put charging stations there. The other one is um, uh, right adjacent to the um, uh, Graduate Hotel. We're going to put some charging in there to address that need. And then currently uh, the city has another parking deck under construction on West Avenue, and we'll put uh, at least two charging stations in that deck. By comparison, Bentonville has a slightly different calculus when it comes to the city government offering EV charging. One major reason for that is electricity in Bentonville is a city-owned utility. So right now, the majority of chargers that are in the city of Bentonville are private entities behind their meters, so on somebody's private parking lot or a gas station or something like that. That's Travis Matlock. He's the electric utility director for the city of Bentonville. If you have a question, anybody can call my office at any time and speak to me. If somebody doesn't like it, you know, I, I can meet you on site and we can talk about it. We may, not ag- we may not agree, but you can talk to the guy in charge of the electric department at any given time. If a business wants to install a level two or level three EV charger at their business for public use, it's as simple as calling Travis and asking. What's the best way to go about this? And I actually literally just had a business contact me this morning asking that very question. So the first thing that we have to check out is what is the electric usage of that building? Is the transformer size to accommodate any other usage? If a building is pretty close to maxed out on their transformer and they want to put a level three... Let's explain this process with an illustration. Imagine your electric transformer is a refrigerator. You might have a good-sized refrigerator, but it was really just meant to hold the products you normally need to stay cold. You've got your milk, your mayonnaise, maybe occasionally a Tupperware of leftovers, but if all of a sudden you want to start storing, I don't know, 18 cases of fresh mozzarella, well, that might get tough. You could maybe arrange everything in there to make it work, but odds are you're pushing the capacity of your fridge. If you're a business suddenly adding a giant power-sucking product like a couple of level 2 EV chargers to your transformer, it might mean you have to get a bigger fridge to fit all that new mozzarella. Travis says he's getting a call like this about once a month, but most of his work to get EV chargers in commercial spaces are happening on the front end of new constructions, not so much retrofitting an existing system. Now, if you're a private business owner who thinks, hey, I've got the parking capacity and I'd love to do this, but not really sure I can afford this. There's a few different options in Arkansas. One is the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, or NEVI for short. This program is geared toward the D.C. fast charging stations. Aaron Pinedo is an advanced planning engineer for transportation planning and policy at the Arkansas Department of Transportation, and he says there's a few specific guidelines to qualify for this program. So a NEVI-funded electric vehicle charger has to have the capability of providing 150 kilowatts of power per hour, and these charging stations have to have at least a minimum of four ports. That means they must be able to provide, at a minimum, 600 kilowatts per hour of power. 
By comparison, the average home in the U.S. uses about 900 kilowatts per month. Other requirements include standardized charging ports, and the station must be located on an Arkansas interstate every 50 miles or on designated alternate fuel corridors, which includes Highway 412 from the Oklahoma border to I-49. They must also be no further than one mile off an exit. Another program is the Electric Vehicle Station Equipment Funding Program, or EVSE. This program incentivizes primarily level two charging stations in Arkansas using funding from the Volkswagen Mitigation Settlement, which was one of the recipients of that program funding the Northwest Arkansas Mall charging stations in Fayetteville. And electric companies like Swepco are offering incentives as well, especially in new constructions. One place you will not get an incentive, however, is from the city of Bentonville. Here's Travis again. Because if I was to offer an incentive to you to either buy an electric vehicle, upsize your water heater, or uh, change your water heater, or upgrade your HVAC, or put rooftop solar on, if I'm giving an incentive to you to do that, it's coming from the rates are only there to cover the O&M, the capital expansions, and the mandated reserves. I want to keep my rates as low as possible. And so if I gave you a rebate, I would be charging another person who may not be able to afford all of those improvements. I would be charging them to help you pay for your improvements. And that is just not something that we at the city of Bentonville will do. Do you imagine that 10, 20 years from now, we may see businesses who are strictly electric vehicle and convenience stores. Like we may see a Casey's, but instead of petroleum fuel, we see just electric charging stations. Yeah, that already exists. Peter Nierengarten again. Uh, there's a station um, in uh, just outside downtown Little Rock on I-630 that is basically just a electric vehicle charging station convenience store. Uh, and then there's another one right outside downtown Hot Springs on, uh, I believe it's Park Avenue, that uh, same owner of both stores. Um, that are already doing that. So yes, absolutely. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. And later this hour, Leo Uribe's latest sound perimeter takes us to New Orleans for piano and more. That's ahead in our second half hour on today's show. The arts are vibrant in Northwest Arkansas, thanks in part to Artists 360. This program from Mid-America Arts Alliance, with support from the Walton Family Foundation, provides career development and grant funding to artists in Northwest Arkansas. The Artists 360 Showcase at Crystal Bridges this Sunday, April 23rd, is open to the public and will feature talks and performances from these fresh artistic voices. Learn more at artists360.art. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. drkathleenwong.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Timothy Dennis. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders marked her first 100 days in office with a speech at the governor's mansion yesterday. Josie Lenora with our partner station KUAR has more. Sanders said she was proud of the conservative policy goals she's accomplished alongside lawmakers in the recent legislative session. Both the Arkansas House and Senate are run by a GOP supermajority, which helped the governor pass a crime bill, new tax cuts, and a sweeping education overhaul. Sanders reminisced about growing up in the governor's mansion during the tenure of her father, former Governor Mike Huckabee. I love the Arkansas that I grew up in, the Arkansas that many of those earlier governors helped to build. But I ran to be a change maker, not a caretaker of the status quo. In a statement, the Democratic Party of Arkansas said their members don't think most of the new laws approved by Sanders will improve the lives of Arkansans. Party Chair Grant Tenniel said, quote, what she's accomplished has done little for the vast majority of the people of Arkansas. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. And Governor Sanders discussed this winter's legislative session and more during a recent conversation with Roby Brock. 
We'll hear part of that discussion ahead on this week's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report on today's Ozarks at Large. Research by the Society of Family Planning shows abortion steeply declined in the months following the Supreme Court decision to reverse Roe v. Wade last June. In the six months that followed, states with bans on abortion experienced a decrease of more than 43,000 fewer people who had abortions. Arkansas was among the first of 18 states to block access to abortion, with no exception for rape or incest. Arkansas, before the ban, averaged more than 3,700 abortions annually, according to clinical provider data. Axios Northwest Arkansas reports nearly 80% of groceries purchased in Northwest Arkansas are bought at Walmart or Sam's Club stores. Using data from ChainStoreGuide.com, Axios reports 79.9% of Northwest Arkansas groceries are purchased at Walmart-owned properties. Springdale-based Harps accounts for close to 10% of grocery sales. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art is hosting the second annual Full Circle Showcase Sunday afternoon from 1 to 3. 11 Northwest Arkansas artists and grant recipients of Mid-America Arts Alliance 360 program grants will deliver short talks and performances. Artists include painter Sharon Killian, multidisciplinary artist and musician Robin Bruce, cultural, cultural historian and artist Eric Hughes, as well as others. John Rankin will also discuss his work. I call myself a Gemini crow who picks up every shiny thing because I'm all over the place. I'm really a multimedia artist and actually made his professional stage debut as Brad Majors in the Toronto production of Rocky Horror. And then went from there to um, printmaking, clothing design, um, and collage. Rankin also creates political assemblages, photographic essays, and has curated hundreds of artist exhibits at Brews, his gallery and bistro in Eureka Springs. The Crystal Bridges Artist 360 Showcase will feature performances from hip-hop artist Jasper Logan, singer-songwriter Justin Peter Kinkle-Schuster, classical dancer, instructor, and director Megan Rao, and University of Arkansas music professor, artist, and Ozarks at Large contributor Leo Rebe. Mid-America Arts Alliance's Artist 360 program over the past five years has awarded more than three quarter of a million dollars to more than 100 artists. Artist 360 made possible with support from the Walton Family Foundation. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Walmart will soon use its first compressed natural gas engine in its private trucking fleet as the retailer works towards zero emissions in its massive transportation operations by 2040. The engine is supplied by Cummins and fueled by Chevron with compressed natural gas linked to renewable natural gas. The Walmart truck will make its first trip from Indiana to California, making pit stops to refuel at Chevron stations. That trip is expected to end in Anaheim on May 1st, in time to be featured at the Advanced Clean Transportation Expo. Kim Souza reported those details online this week, and you can find that story at nwabusinessjournal.com. Governor Sarah Sanders discussed a wide range of state and national topics in a post-session interview recently with Roby Brock. We've got some of that conversation after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Last week, we heard from a former Democratic state legislator and a Republican strategist for their analysis of the LEARNS Act. That's Governor Sarah Sanders' landmark education reform passed in the recent legislative session. Today, we hear directly from the governor about why she believes that legislation was needed and is good for Arkansas. 
Governor Sanders spoke recently with Roby Brock. All right, let's talk about your learns plan. Um, tell me where you think you are in the process right now in terms of uh, there's a lot of rules and regs that still have to be developed. There's a lot of uh, meetings that are going on around the state. Are you getting the feedback that you're looking for from those meetings? Kind of what's your sense of how people are grappling with it? Absolutely. I think Arkansas Learns is the most historic landmark legislation that Arkansas has ever had when it comes to education, uh, but probably one of the biggest, I think, overhauls that we've seen anywhere in the country. And so with that is going to come a lot of rules and regulations uh, and the implementation process. Now that we have passed it and it's a law, the implementation becomes the next big lift. I feel very confident with the team that we have built. Um, they've spent a lot of time traveling around the state. Secretary Oliva uh, has been to every co-op in Arkansas and met with stakeholders from those communities coming in, answering questions. We're going to continue to do that and engage them in the process. Uh, having a seat at the table from those individuals and making sure that they are part of that implementation is really important to us and I think going to be one of the reasons that it'll be incredibly successful. I want to talk a little bit more about those stakeholders. There is a group that wants to overturn the LEARNS Act. They're going to attempt this ballot initiative to do that. It's a long shot. I've looked at the legal aspects of how that works. Um, I would say the odds are not in their favor of uh, being successful on that. But some of those folks feel like they were not part of the conversation leading into the LEARNS Act. There is that opportunity for them to be at the table in the development of the rules and regs. Are you actively reaching out to some of those stakeholders that might feel disenfranchised? How do you... How do you try to win some of those opponents over to your side? Well, the meetings that we've had have been open meetings that anyone who wants to attend certainly can. Um, so if they aren't engaging, I think the responsibility lies on them. But you have to think about, too, th some of these people are the exact same people who begged and called for teacher pay raises for years, and then we gave it to them. And not just a little bit, the largest increase that we've seen, we went from being at the very bottom in teacher's pay at $36,000 or 48 in the country to being in the top five overnight. That is a historic move uh, and really empowering our teachers. And this is the same group that's now attacking me for giving teachers pay raises. So uh, some things I don't think you'll ever be able to please, but certainly we want all of these people to come in, be part of the conversation, let us answer their questions, let us address their concerns. Uh, and if they want to be a productive part of the implementation process, we certainly welcome them yeah, to be part, part of it. their argument is that we've done a lot for teacher recruitment with those uh, mm -hmm. those starting salaries. We may not have done as much as we could for teacher retention, but a lot of that is also at the local school district level, managing their budgets to address those teachers. Because the LEARNS Act never promised to deal with more than a $2,000 pay raise for teachers that had tenure already. Correct. We gave every single teacher in the state a pay raise of at least $2,000. But on top of that, we added additional incentive programs for teachers uh, who may have been there for a long time that can up to $10,000 in additional funding that will be available and paid for fully and completely by the state. At the same time, we provided an immense amount of flexibility for the districts because they know what they need within their community to go out and either recruit or retain teachers that they already have. And so by providing that flexibility, we are opening up up a lot more options for the districts to make good decisions for their schools. A lot of that will be determined in rules and regs, too. So rules and regs, my favorite new phrase here that we're <laughs> going to get to deal with here. Let's turn our attention to criminal justice. You did get your, um, your, your sentencing reform package through, a new funding for a new prison is going to be built. There is going to be this gap, though, between the new prison being constructed, the new sentences that are going to go into effect. We already have an overcrowding problem. How are you addressing the gap that's in there? There's How do you address the overcrowding that's already there? And how do you kind of deal with the fact that it may be three to five years before you're you're opening a new prison? Well, one of the things that we've done and that I tasked Secretary Perfuri with was what can we do with the existing space that we have? And he's already found and identified 500 new spaces so that we can alleviate some of the pressure at the county jail level. So we are looking at opening up those slots here over the next couple of weeks and months and letting that be part of the process to bridge the gap before we can open a new 
a new prison. Five hundred helps you, but you it got, helps. You got three thousand. Exactly, yeah. and we're going to continue looking for space like those initial five hundred. Uh, we're confident we can find some additional bed space uh, beyond the five hundred while we work on building a new prison. Look, this problem did not start uh, yesterday. We're not going to be able to fix it in twenty-four hours. The difference is we're actually taking steps to fix it. We're not kicking it down the road. We are not passing it off to the next person behind us. We're taking responsibility, taking action, and addressing the problem. And I think we will reduce crime significantly here in the state of Arkansas. Frankly, we have to. You told me before the session started you might even look at outsourcing some prisoners to other states where there might be prison beds. Is that still an option on the table? Certainly not taking anything off the table at this point. Including the Emergency Powers Act? Not taking could, not taking anything off the table have you at this that point. Yet? Have you looked at invoking that yet? I haven't yet. I think we're in a position hopefully where we don't need to, but certainly not going to take anything off the table. And that is Governor Sarah Sanders in a recent interview with Roby Brock. There is much more of their conversation over on our sister website, at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, White River Bank Shares of Fayetteville, that's the holding company for Signature Bank of Arkansas, announced it has surpassed $10 billion in assets. The company revealed the milestone in its quarterly earnings release on Monday. Bentonville apparel startup Lives In Designs has launched a new jacket with a Kickstarter campaign. The 30-day crowdfunding effort started April 18th. And J.B. Hunt reported lower-than-expected quarterly earnings on Monday, hurt by weak shipping demand, high driver wages, and maintenance expenses. Revenue declined by 7.5% to $3.23 billion. You can find all of those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. Happy Thursday. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Timothy Dennis. Timothy, let's talk live music. All right, let's start with Tomorrow Night. George's Majestic Lounge and Fable is going to have a contemporary country show featuring the likes of Connor Smith and Mackenzie Carpenter. Okay. show is $15. That's the late show, so it gets started at 9 o'clock tomorrow night again at George's in Fayetteville. Also tomorrow night in Fayetteville, Kingfish is going to have a rock and roll show featuring the bands Milden Hall, Phantom Sam, and Cosmic Cream. Last night I was at home Watching the TV glow When I found myself all alone the All right, what time does that start? Also gets underway at 9 o'clock. Okay. Also, again, at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Moving on. Up in North Fayetteville tomorrow night, JJ's Live is going to have Lucero in the house. It's been a minute since they've been to Fayetteville. And I love Lucero. They, they were just on uh, Beale Street Caravan a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? Yep. Excellent. Excellent. I think the last time I saw them was a Peacemaker pre-pandemic. In Fort Smith, yeah. Yes. Cover for that show tomorrow night is $25 in advance. goes up to $30 tomorrow. That starts at 7.30 tomorrow night, again at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. Happening even farther north up in Bentonville, the Kurt Allen Band will be in the house at Meteor Guitar Gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of a blues rock yeah. Cover for that show is $12.50 in advance, goes up to $15 tomorrow, starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Over in Rogers, the Shire Gastro Pub is going to have a Spaceberry pre-party. Spaceberry coming up in May. I was going to say, that's not this weekend. No, that's no, no, a it's a couple bit. weeks okay. away. Gotcha. Uh, but but for that's this, a real pre-party. Yeah, 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 yeah. This pre-party show, they're featuring music from Charlie Mellinger and the band Green Acres. 
Really? Yeah. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night at the Shire Gastro Pub in Rogers. Also happening tomorrow night, over in Siloam Springs, Creekside Tap Room is going to have the local folk duo One Penny Shy on stage. I like them. They're awesome. Yeah. They're awesome. What would I say if I could see you again? Everything's different and still the same. Holding to memory and holding to fear. Everything's different, but it's all awesome. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Creekside Tap Room over in Siloam. To the east in Eureka Springs, Gotta Hold Brewing is going to have California Jeff in the house. He's a folk songwriter from central Illinois. Of course. Yeah, of course. Right, right. Yes. Well, I looked for you in a canyon so deep. And I looked for you up a mountain so steep to find you and your that starts at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday, 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville is going to have the local band Circle of Thirds on their stage. Mm-hmm. That show gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night, again at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville. Happening in downtown Fayetteville, the AM PM bar is going to have Lost John in the house. That's not too far from where we are. No, it's, I believe, where the Nines used to be. And not the Nines. Not Nines Alley. Right. But Nines in the sort of Quonset house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of next to where Backspace used to be. Exactly. We're talking about a lot of things that used to be there. Yes. Uh, Lost John, again, playing at AMPM Bar this Saturday. That'll get underway at 7 o'clock, again, Saturday night at the AMPM Bar in Fayetteville. Happening up in Bentonville Saturday night, Bike Rack Brewing Company is going to have Fight Dream on the patio. It is patio music season after yes, all. Yes, it is. Since that is part of their patio concert series, it is free. Gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night again at Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville. Over in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Got a Hold Brewing is going to have local songwriter Pat Ryan Key on their stage. My soul is broken into while my heart Place the blue. That will start at 5 o'clock Saturday again at Gotta Hold in Eureka Springs. Down in Fort Smith Saturday night, Majestic is going to have Scotty Austin on their stage. Why is that familiar? He was the former vocalist for the band Saving Abel. Okay. That's $15 in advance. It goes up to $18 on Saturday. That show starts at 8 o'clock Saturday night, again at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Okay, Sunday. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have the Rebirth Brass Band in the house. Oh, they're so good. It's a show that's presented, actually, by Maxine's Tap Room. Right, but you could not get this band into Maxine's. Oh, no, you would go deaf from as much sound as they would produce inside Maxine's. Uh, Opening the show is Noah Richmond's Little Monster. Tickets are $25. Starts at 8 o'clock Sunday night, again at George's in Fayetteville. And that is going to be a really good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully expecting a good time from that. Also Sunday night, it's time for the monthly Squirrel Jam at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. If you want to watch a lot of local and regional musicians jam together, or if you want to do so yourself, gets underway at 5 o'clock Sunday evening again at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. Jumping ahead to Tuesday, George's and Fayetteville is going to have an indie rock show featuring the bands Social Cinema, Garden Snakes, and Fight Test. That's $10. Starts at 8 o'clock Tuesday night, again at George's in Fayetteville. 
And then jumping ahead to Thursday. One week from tonight. One week, seven days from okay. tonight. Uh, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have their own indie rock show featuring the bands Cola and Or Or Or. is $12, starts at 8 o'clock next Thursday again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville, and also next Thursday night, it's the start of the Live at Turnbow series in Springdale. Right. Uh, for this first installment of the year, they are going to feature Funk Factory. Who will, who is also at, uh, on campus today as part of the investiture for Dr. Charles Robinson. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that being is part... That being a part of Live at Turnbow, it is free. Gets underway at 6.30 next Thursday, again at Turnbow Park in Springdale. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. Associate Professor and Chair of the Music Department at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Songs of Laughing, Smiling, and Crying by New Orleans native composer Courtney Bryan. Today's version of this piece for piano and recorded sound is from a 2018 concert at the New Orleans Jazz Museum in New Orleans, featuring the composer also as a pianist. Courtney Bryan's music ranges from jazz and experimental to traditional gospel, spirituals, and hymns. Bryan attended Oberlin Conservatory for her undergraduate degree, Rogers University for her master's, and Columbia University for a doctorate. And now she is a professor of music at Newcomb College in the School of Liberal Arts, Tulane University, and a creative partner with the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. Her works often include solo, large ensembles, film scores, and collaborations with dancers, visual artists, writers, and actors. From the opening chords of songs of laughing, smiling, and crying, this piece is to me an invitation to reflection and deep introspection, and like its title, a call to explore all colors, all feelings, and all histories.
That was Songs of Laughing, Smiling, and Crying for Improvised Piano and Recorded Sound by New Orleans native composer and pianist Courtney Bryan, recorded live at the New Orleans Jazz Museum in 2018. Tuba Skinny is a traditional jazz street band based in New Orleans, Louisiana. The band features the cornet, clarinet, trombone, tuba, banjo, guitar, and washboard. For the last decade and a half, Tuba Skinny has grown its encompassing audience and has released 12 albums while touring all over the world. Tuba Skinny's music is inspired by traditional jazz, ragtime, spirituals, country blues, and New Orleans R&B. Let us listen to Tuba Skinny perform in the streets of New Orleans, Jubilee Stomp, a piece composed by Duke Ellington, who first recorded it in 1928. <laughs> Based street band Tuba Skinny performing Duke Ellington's Jubilee Stomp from a 2018 live recording. Today in San Perimeter, we let the good times and get the good music roll and featured bands and musicians from New Orleans, Courtney Bryan and street band Tuba Skinny. I hope you transported yourself through time and space and enjoy the rich and profound sounds of New Orleans while thinking of the rich histories that have inspired these musics and musicians. This is Leah Uribe. 
Associate Professor and Chair of the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. A show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it'll expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. Tomorrow on Ozarks, the Fort Smith Symphony is preparing for its final concert of the main stage season. Native American Legends, it's a performance to be recorded for international release by Noxos Records. A preview tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. KUAF is supported by Mockingbird Kitchen, locally owned and operated with indoor or patio dining and online ordering and curbside pickup Wednesday through Sunday. Modern Ozark dishes and local brews and spirits available. Mockingbirdkitchen.com for information. Botanical Garden of the Ozarks celebrates Earth Day 2023 this Friday, April 21st from 3 to 6 p.m. Events will include giveaways, interactive activities, live music, a magic show, and more for the whole family. Guests are also welcome to bring a picnic. Registration and information at bgozarks.org slash events or get your ticket at the gate. This is Ozarks at Large. A pleasant Thursday to you. Today, we're going to spend a few more minutes with historian and author David Weinfeld. He's the author of the book An American Friendship, Elaine Locke, Horace Callan, and the development of cultural pluralism, about two men whose friendship serves as an example of how people with different backgrounds can discuss serious matters. We heard much from him on Wednesday's edition of Ozarks at Large, but there's a bit more that we didn't have time for that day. I asked him during our conversation earlier this month if researching that friendship gave him optimism about civil discourse a century later. Last semester, I taught a class at Rowan University uh, in in New Jersey, um, and it was a class on world religions. And as part of the class, uh, I took my students to different houses of worship, including a Catholic church. And uh, at the Catholic church, I met the priest, very nice guy around my age, and he was, you know, inspired by me taking students to his service. So he's asked me if I could come speak to the Catholic Students uh, Association at their at their um, center called Newman House uh, about Judaism, right? Because that's my area of expertise. So I said, sure. So uh, a few weeks ago, I go to speak to them uh, at the at Newman House to the Catholic Students Association pretty big crowd, about 50 students, and I'm talking about um, the Jewish holiday of Purim that was happening right around then, which is actually all about assimilation and and existing as a minority in a larger, uh, you know, as a minority religion uh, versus the majority religion, in that case, ancient Persia. But uh, I was talking about that, and then uh, what was interesting is right before I gave my speech, They'd asked me if um, they could have someone else get, say a few words. And I said, sure. And they brought up this um, man, who middle-aged guy, who spoke for about five minutes about the pro-life movement, right? Or anti-choice movement, the anti-abortion movement, and <clears throat> what work he was doing with that. I was a little taken aback. But this is, you know, he spoke. I got up. I spoke about Purim uh, right after him. And then one of the students asked a great question. They said to me, David, or Professor Weinfeld probably said, you know, um, can you give us an example of a way that existing as a minority religion, in this case, Judaism in a majority Christian society is difficult for you? And I sort of thought to myself and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I said two things. I said, first, I'll tell you one quick thing that's, that's a little lighthearted. I said, you know, my daughter, uh, she has a Noah's Ark set that she got for Hanukkah. She's three years old now, got it for her first Hanukkah. One of her favorite toys that she has. Only problem is now she calls uh, the Noah figurine Santa. 
<laughs> so a little disappointing. She's referring to this bearded individual as Santa rather than Noah. Right. That was sad. But then, uh, you know, not a huge deal. But the second thing I said, and I, and I just I felt inspired. I said, you know, right before I got up to speak about Judaism, you had a speaker come up and talk about the pro-life movement and and how important it is and the support for, uh, you know, uh, the fight um, against abortion and abortion rights. And I am Jewish and Judaism has many different views on abortion, um, or there are many, you know, the different denominations think differently, but in general, Jews tend to be pro-choice, and even uh, even if they lean slightly the other way, Judaism does not believe it, that life begins at conception, does not believe in fetal personhood. There's texts in the, in the Bible and in the Talmud um, that, that advance this position that life begins at birth rather than at conception. And, you know, this is one of the things where being part of a minority religion uh, is uh, difficult. And, you know, what was amazing is that they listened. Hmm. They probably disagreed. Some of them probably didn't. They may not have wanted to say it, right? But some of them probably didn't. But they they didn't run me out of the room. I think they appreciated what I said. We continued to have more discussion, and it was very. It wasn't just civil. It was friendly, and I think part of the reason it was friendly is because the whole atmosphere was was a kind of it wasn't about it wasn't transactional they invited me to come they served me a dinner they showed me around their place i was joking with them i was bantering with them i think they really appreciated what i was doing even if we disagreed and honestly it's rare that you feel that way in academia that you feel where you're actually talking to someone who disagrees with you, but you're talking to them in a productive way. David Weinfeld is the author of the book An American Friendship, Elaine Locke, Horace Callan, and the Development of Cultural Pluralism. He's speaking on the University of Arkansas campus tonight. His talk that he's giving is titled Between Confederate Memory and Jewish Identity, Southern Jews and the Lost Cause. Mid-America Arts Alliance, with support from the Walton Family Foundation, presents the Artist 360 Full Circle Showcase at Crystal Bridges from 1 to 3 p.m. Sunday, April 23rd. This weekend's free event features talks and performances from a variety of Arkansas artists, including Justin Peter Kinkelschuster, Jasper Logan, and Mega Rao. Learn more at artist360.art. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Ozark. 91.3 FM, KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas, and Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors to today's show included Matthew Moore, Josie Lenora, Leah Uribe, Paul Gatling, and Roby Brock. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. His most recent CD, found wherever you find music, is called Still Here. Also, Stephanie Brock helped us out today and we appreciate that. Timothy produced the program and today's sound perimeter inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. Timothy, big plans for the weekend? Uh, not really. A little bit of woodworking in my backyard. I'm going to go see Lost John at the AMPM bar this Saturday. Oh, uh, anxious to hear about that. Other than that, just a lot of relaxing. All right. I think I'm pulling weeds this yeah, weekend. Yeah, I do need to do that, but I don't know if I want to. Oh, I didn't say I wanted to. I said I'm doing it because <laughs> I didn't want to last week. I'd rather find other things that I'd rather do. Right. Well, we'd rather you be back with us tomorrow at noon and 7 for a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Timothy Dennis. Please be well.